0: Everybody doing well today? Three of us are. (laughs) I'm I'm really glad you're here today. For me, I'll say that for us all. Uh, Just a great time. I love coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas. I'm so glad that so many of you already took it seriously. I said, give me five last week. If you were here, I said, give me five minutes before and after service to talk to people that you don't know. You guys did that. Kudos. So I'll clap for you. And uh, because if you've been here more than one week, you're deputized. You are more than free to help other people feel like there's a place for them here at Connection. If you like it here, we want you to turn around and help other people feel like there's a place for them. And I said, give me five people that you'll pray for and invite to church. Some of you have already done that, so glad if you're here for the first time, welcome. We've got a gift for you. I think you may have already heard that at either of the welcome desks on your way out. Just say, my first time, and we'll give you the gift. No alarms will go off. We won't show up at your house uninvited, it's just that we just want you to know we're here and we exist to get people connected to God and each other through Jesus, and you're part of that. So, I think I could probably also speak for all of us when I say, wouldn't it be nice to get rid of a little bit of the drama in the world? Like, silly me, I kind of thought when the elections were over, they would be over, and all the drama would be done. No more phone calls, no more commercials, but then we got to do recounts, because that's the American way, so... And then on a more personal level, two weeks, less than two weeks till Thanksgiving, there's no drama with family at all, right? (laughs) Some of you love your family. Some of you are going, how long do we have to be at their house? (laughs) There's a little bit that comes with that. Uh, There's a lot of things that we can just say, I would love to just get rid of some of the drama. Uh, It's just part of the human experience, though. I'll give you a perfect example of this. The city of Lakeville, Minnesota, holds a festival every summer. They call it the Panorama of Progress. The locals call it the Panoprog, and it sounds like a lot of fun. They have things like a parade and a carnival, beer and brats, bingo, fireworks every night. You know, it sounds like a road trip. It's just an amazing time that they have there. However, there is controversy at the Panoprog every single year. It's centered around the baby crawl-a-thon. How do you have fights with babies? They figured out how, because that's what we do. So, like, take 2015, for example. Emotions ran high when Berkeley Bailey, 10-month-old, sweet, cute little girl, she won. She was the fastest toddler, or actually, you're not a toddler yet when you're still crawling, right? So she crawled across the finish line and then as soon as she won, the judges huddled up and they stripped her of her title almost as soon as she won it. Poor little kid, first thing she ever won and she lost it. So what they did is they said, well, we need to make a ruling. She didn't actually crawl when she went across the line. She did this thing where she would move her left side and then throw her right arm out. That's not a crawl. We're going to give it to the second place baby. To which all the parents were like, what? And uh, Berkeley's parents were like, That's her crawl. That's all she's ever done. The doctor said it's a crawl. It's a crawl. And other people like, no, it's not. It's not fair. And they're fighting about it. Like, how do you fight over little babies? This is what the grown. This is a picture of the grown ups right there, (laughs) appealing the judge's ruling. Just it doesn't seem fair. You know, I just I think about this. Well, actually, I go to give them all props. They managed to make it one year, 2016. There were no disqualifications and no drama. But I can't say that 2017 or 18 were were that good. You know, I just think, man, you want less conflict in your life. I know I do. Less frustration with the people that I care about, and uh, I, I can actually tell you that day is coming. There will be a day where there'll be no more conflict or drama or interpersonal struggles. You know when that day is? Yeah, when we die or when Jesus comes back. <laughs> Until that day, we're just it's part of the human experience. We're going to get frustrated with each other. One of the things I figured out, it took me a long time to figure this out. Maybe you already know this. And you're going to say, welcome to the party. Maybe you don't know this. Let me tell you this. Conflict in and of itself is not bad. It's not necessarily a bad thing that you get into disagreements with people. It's more about how we handle it. And It took me a long time because I am kind of a conflict averse person i i don't really care for it so it's for for me as soon as i'm like a labrador retriever if there's problems i either need to see how i can go calm it down or i just want to go to a different room because i just don't like to deal with it but how many of you would say yeah um conflict i have like this week i've had some fights you can raise your hand to this a little bit of conflict a little bit of tension don't raise your hand to this anybody have a fight on the way to church That happens a lot. I mean, my gosh, it's like, okay, now we have to smile and pretend like we're happy when we go into church so nobody knows that we're just screaming at each other in the parking lot, right? It's just how things are. So it's it's usual. It's normal. It's to be expected. Everybody experiences relational conflict. Just write it down if you want to. Believe me if you don't. But I'm telling you, it is. It's just part of how people are. Here's what's different about us. How we actually process and deal with conflict is what's different. Each one of us processes it differently. Uh, Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, talks about how the way we deal with conflict and fights has a lot to do with what we saw when we were growing up. Whatever it was that you experienced in your family growing up is generally what you do. You may even have hated the way that your family handled conflict, but you inevitably will find yourself doing that. You're like, why am I doing this? I'm just like my mom, just like my dad. Or we, sometimes we want to swing the pendulum so far the other way that we like overreact. Really, if you want to write this down, there's three different ways that people deal with conflict and, um, and frustration. And see if you recognize yourself in one of these. The first one is withdrawal. When tensions get high, you are a conflict avoider. Me too. You run from the problem. You run from the person. We ignore things way too long. We hope that they'll get better on their own. That it'll resolve itself on its own. We push things under the rug. We bottle it up till we explode. Anybody else with me, or am I the only person in this place that's like that? Conflict avoider. Just whatever. It's. I'll give you an analogy of what this is like. I remember the very first time I flew into Haiti. We were flying into the Port-au-Prince International Airport. This was, I think it was 2011, it was right after the earthquake, whenever that was. So we're coming in for the approach. We've circled over the city of Port-au-Prince. I've done the whole look out the window, see the city. And it looks better from up above than it does down below. But you know, So we're coming in for the landing. And if you've flown, you know that moment where you're coming into the runway and you're so close that you're just waiting for the tires to touch down? We were that cl- We're coming in like 60, 70 miles an hour. I'm looking in the second story windows of the airport building terminal and we're I'm just waiting for it and all of a sudden like slowing down, waiting for the click, click. And it's like, nope, we're all pressed back in our seat. We're going straight up in the air and accelerating. I'm like, what in the world? And everybody's like freaking out. We already had our, everything done. We're like ready to land, and we're up in the air again. And it wasn't about 30 seconds later. The pilot got to explain this one. We didn't land. We're circling again. What's going on? He said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for that. We had a little conflict with the runway, and we'll be getting you landed real soon here. Somebody said, yeah, I saw a goat on the runway where we were supposed to land. Like, oh, no, we're not. That's how some of us deal with conflict. You're walking out of your bedroom, and there's the person you're in a fight with, and you're like, nope, I'm going this way. You're walking down the hall at school, and there's that person that you just can't get along with. Nope, I'm going this way. You're walking through the commons in church, and there's that person. and Nope. That's a lot of us. We just tend to avoid it because we don't want to deal with the drama. We just hope that it'll get better all of a sudden on its own. And here's the thing. It won't. Um, the uh, the second response that a lot of people have, and we'll get back to this one in a second, but if the the massive extreme is I will just never deal with the problems in my life, there's a whole other extreme, and that is uh, the people who have never met a fight that they didn't enjoy, right? You got the conflict avoiders, but you have the conflict creators. They're the ones who go on the attack, and like there's some tension in the room, and they walk in and they go, oh goody. <laughs> i love this how many of you are like that don't raise your hand and don't elbow anybody but some of you are like that you love it it's like okay now things are about to get interesting you poke the bear at the thanksgiving meal you're the one who tosses the hand grenade in the room and steps back just to see what happens you love that there's something messed up with you it's like wwe let's get ready to rumble And so you put the conflict avoiders and the uh, conflict creators in the same room and that's when things get really interesting. Now, this is the extreme, but you might find yourself doing that verbally. There are those who are this, but they don't seem like it because they're more passive aggressive and they don't do it to your face, but they undercut you, they backstab you, they talk about you, they slander you to other people. You might find yourself getting physical with some people on the extreme of this. Uh, If you think about it, withdraw and attack are really two sides of the same coin both of them are about damaging someone else that you're in a relationship with it just it takes a different form there's a third way to deal with conflict though and um, this is just the way that a lot of people have learned to deal with the frustrations that inevitably arise in relationship and this is actually a very healthy way the third option we have is being a peacemaker And uh, when you choose peacemaking over attacking or withdrawing people, you shift from avoiding conflict or creating conflict to resolving conflict, and this is the healthiest place to be. Here at Connection, despite what my natural inclination is, I've tried to lead us to a place where we just, we try to be the peacemakers. We we don't necessarily want there to be a conflict, but when there is one, we want to work it out. One of our core values here, and you can write this down if you want, we say disagreements, they are unavoidable. But divisions are unacceptable. The fact that there's conflict and tension between people simply means you've got a pulse and you're breathing. Eventually, we're all going to get sideways with each other. It's just going to happen. But what you do with that is where we start to get into trouble. And Where we got this idea that disagreements are unavoidable, but but disunity or divisions are unacceptable, we got that from Jesus. And uh, there's a way that Jesus teaches people to live. If you are a Christian, I am absolutely talking to you today you don't have a choice in the matter here but if you are not yet a follower of Jesus but you're kind of here exploring that I would invite you to at least consider Jesus way because what I have found is he's always the wisest person on any subject so I would invite you to take a Bible let's go find out what Jesus has to say about dealing with conflict so we're going to go to Matthew if you've got a paper version of the Bible and you're newer to the Bible feel free to use the table of contents there's no shame in that and if you got the Bible app you're looking for Matthew chapter 5 The big numbers are the chapters, and then inside the the verses, the smaller numbers. And we're going to just be in the middle of a much bigger teaching that Jesus gave. We're just pulling out one little thing that he says here. This is in verse 23 and 24. Jesus said this, So, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go be reconciled to that person. Then come offer your sacrifice to God. Okay, so we're just going to stop there. As I said, there's more, but Jesus is talking about conflicts here. I'm just going to be honest with you. This isn't quantum physics. You may be new to the Bible, but I'm pretty sure you can figure out and suss out what Jesus is talking about here. And uh, so the hard thing here isn't figuring out what does Jesus mean by that. The, the hard thing here is actually implementing it and doing what he's talking about. The challenge is not understanding, but it's doing it. So what does he say in here? Go ahead and write this down if you want. What does he say about how to be a conflict resolver? His first piece of advice would be you go immediately. That's the whole leave the thing at the altar thing. It's so simple. Jesus is saying, the moment you remember and you realize, maybe the moment that God puts in your mind that you are not right with someone, you drop everything and you go talk to them immediately. And all of us conflict avoiders in the room right now are starting to go, oh, I'm feeling dizzy. (laughs) The thought of a good old-fashioned face-to-face work things out makes you want to throw up, right? But Jesus says, This is what you do. You go immediately. This is the thing that's going to bring the best possible outcome to every single conflict you ever find yourself in. And here's the picture that Jesus paints here. You're at the altar. And we don't get how shocking that is because it's been 2,000 years since anybody went to Jerusalem to the temple to sacrifice animals as a part of their worship. But we can imagine. Just imagine it's the most holy moment of your year, maybe of your life. You're going to the temple in Jerusalem. You've brought your animal to be sacrificed. You're worshiping God. It's about the forgiveness of sins and being right with God and other people. You've maybe waited in line with thousands of people for your turn to come before the altar with the flames, and the priest is going to sacrifice the animal and put it on the fire. And this is just such a holy moment, and there's so many people around you. And you're in that moment right before the priest. Jesus says, at that moment when it occurs to you that someone's got something against you, What did he say to do? Leave your sacrifice, leave the temple, go work it out. God says, I'll wait, you go work things out. In this most holy moment, God says, the most important thing is not going ahead with your sacrifice, it's getting things worked out with your brother or your sister. In our world, just imagine that you're at a place where there's a whole lot of people dressed up. And there's someone standing in front of everyone in a black suit. And there's someone standing in front of everybody in a white dress. And you're one of those two people. And you're about to get married. And in the middle of the service, it occurs to you, we had that fight. I probably shouldn't have said what I said. Jesus is saying in the middle of that holy moment with all your friends, you just say, I got to take care of something you leave the front, you go work it out, you make the phone call, you have the conversation, you come back and go, okay, where were we? I do. That's how shocking it was. saying, In the middle of the most holy, most important things you're doing, this is more important that you go get it worked out. And here's what he's saying. This doesn't work. If this isn't working, how can you say that you love God and worship God if you hate your brother or your sister or your friend? Go work it out. And here's something else I noticed about what Jesus taught. He said, if someone has something against you, you go and be reconciled to that person. Does anybody else think that sounds kind of unfair? Like, here's my thinking. Why should I take the initiative if I'm not at fault? I mean, I get it. If I'm the one who's done something, but if it's their fault, why do I have to go first? They wronged me, and I get it. Trust me, I get it. I'm all about the rules. I'm all about right and wrong and justice. Here's something I've learned from following Jesus, and some of you have been following Jesus for a while. You can probably back me up on this. Jesus doesn't care what I think because he's actually right all the time and something I've learned from following Jesus is even when I think Jesus might be wrong or that he's got it kind of off I eventually come to realize no he was right (laughs) it was whatever he's asked me to do is the best thing and the most mature thing and I just needed to grow up so what I've tried to do is just immediately go if he says to do it I should probably do it my feelings will catch up later and this is one of those times if you really want to be a conflict resolver you ought to go immediately but he says you go first you go first. It doesn't matter who's at fault. You go first as soon as possible. You take the initiative. You don't wait for the other person. Even if it should be them that's doing the coming to you, you just go. and Do it quickly. So back in January this year, the Portland Trailblazers were not doing well. And the coach uh, saw the team was struggling. One of the things he did is he, start, he benched the starting forward, Mo Harkless. You're on the bench, dude. I know you're a starter, but we have got to get this thing figured out. And Mo was probably disappointed. He saw the footage from the game that night, a game, by the way, they they did win. They hadn't won in a long time. They won that game. And he said, I watched the footage, and I saw myself sitting on the bench, and I saw all my other teammates on the bench, and they were cheering, and they were celebrating the win with all the players who were on the court, and I was sitting there like a bump on the log. I looked so unhappy. And he said, I was just struck by what I was doing. So much so that with his coach's permission, the next morning at practice, he interrupted the practice, and he called the guys over, and he said, look, I just need to apologize for my behavior. I didn't support you guys like I should have last night. That win was great. It was awesome, but I wasn't there with you, and you should expect more from me. No matter what's going on in my life, I shouldn't be a bad teammate. Here's what happened. That moment of vulnerability And openness and seeking forgiveness was immediately rewarded from his whole team. They embraced him. They forgave him. They cheered him on. Mo got his starting position back. The coach put him in. They went on a 13-game winning streak. That's the kind of thing that happens when you go first and when you go immediately. And you don't just let the conflict simmer and just hope that it works itself out. All kinds of good things happen when you say, I'm just going to be the bigger person here. I'm going to, here's, here's why you go first. Just give you a little secret here. Reconciliation is more important in this relationship than who's right. I have a real hard time saying that, but it's the truth. There's something more important than being right, and that's your relationship. But here's something else we need to think about as we go through all of what Jesus taught here. If you want to go ahead and in your Bible, if you're in Matthew chapter 5, he's got another teaching. You just want to flip several pages over. This is a different time that Jesus is teaching, and you're looking for Matthew chapter 18. And again, we're going to just dive right into the middle of something he said here. So again, Jesus, wisest person who ever lived. He said, if another believer sins against you, go privately. Point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Now, Jesus said here, like he said, if, if another believer sins against you, I would, I'm not trying to correct Jesus, but I think he could have said when, (laughs) when somebody else offends you, because this is going to happen, and when that happens, he says you go privately and you point out the offense. Literally in the Greek, it says between you and him alone, or between you and him only. That's literally the words that he said. Just keep it between the two of you. Now, not bragging, but I've had Bible college training, I've had, like, 16 hours of Koine Greek, I've, um, I've been to seminary. And so when, when I study this, I think what Jesus meant when he said go privately is that he wants you to go privately. I could be wrong about that, but, but maybe not, which is really actually the, the third thing that he would say. I want you to go immediately. I want you to, who cares who's wrong and right? You go first, and I want you to go alone. Don't bring anybody with you. You know, which is kind of, we don't do that, do we? When I know I'm going to have a conversation with somebody, is not our first response, well, you know what, maybe I ought to talk to somebody else first just to bounce it off and make sure I'm seeing this okay. I want to get a little sounding board. Is that really what we do, though? Would we go to somebody else to just bounce it off them first? I don't, maybe I'm just naive, or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm too cynical, but I don't think that's usually what ends up happening. You go to somebody else because you just want to say, I just want to make sure I'm seeing this clearly before I actually go to the person. It becomes like this gossipy slander fest where you're like saying things like, do you not agree with me that that person is just a blazing psychopath? That's usually what happens when you go to somebody else. Jesus says that's not really going to help. It feels good. (laughs) But what you're really doing is you're enlisting a team. You're creating a division. You're not really doing what Jesus said, which was just go. Go alone. Don't create other people into the mix. Right now, it's just between the two of you, and this is the easiest place to get it worked out. Eric Geiger, uh, he's an author and a Christian. He says it's really easy to spot Christian backstabbing. And I use air quotes because there's nothing Christian about backstabbing. Just a couple of things he points out. He says backstabbers frame gossip as prayer requests. Just going to bring up a prayer. I'm not going to name a name, but it's a redheaded guy with a beard who I'm just really having a lot of problems with because he's a jerk. Yeah. So just pray for that guy. I'm not going to say who it is, but you know. <laughs> That's, that really, it's, you're, you're basically go, trying to find a loophole around what Jesus says by using it as a prayer request. Don't do that. Uh, Eric Geiger also says, backstabbers talk about the other person rather than to the person. So just a little insight. This has been something that I've been taught, and it's very helpful. If you are the person who is the sounding board, and somebody comes to you and says, I just want to talk to you first, make sure I'm seeing this right, the very first thing you ought to say to that person is, have you talked to them about this? Because If you're talking to me, I have nothing to do with this. In fact, I'd be happy to go with you to them and then make sure you're talking and step away. Nobody wants to do that. But you know how much gossip would be cut down if we just said that? Have you talked to so-and-so about that? I know you want to tell me about it. Have you talked to them? You know, maybe come back to me if you have tried and it's not working and you want somebody to help fix it, but it First thing first, just go talk to them. And the third thing that Eric Geiger says, backstabbers know lots of information about lots of people. Which, in their defense, maybe they just care. But what he has found and what I have found is there are some people who say, well, I just know lots of things because people like to talk to me. Well, the truth is, you signal that you're open to listening to gossip. That's how you know a lot of stuff about a lot of people. And it's not necessarily a healthy thing that you do a lot of things about a lot of people. I can tell you in my own experience, there have been a lot of conflicts that have been worked out the way Jesus said to immediately, and you first and alone, and nobody else knows about it. And honestly, too, if there's been a misunderstanding and you think you're absolutely right, but it turns out you weren't, Nobody else is embarrassed. You got it worked out between the two of you. You don't have to go around and find all the people you used as sounding boards to go correct the misinformation. It's just so much easier if you'll do this. So much healthier. It's kind of like Jesus knew what he was talking about. Jesus says, just go directly to your problem person and just say these words. I think we've got an issue. I haven't talked to anybody else about this, but I think we need to get this worked out. You don't post Semi veiled, snarky comments on Facebook. You don't bring it up as a prayer request at your connect group. You don't um, pass go. You don't collect two hundred dollars. You just go find that person and work it out. And I would also advise do it in person. You feel like a text message might create that separation barrier that keeps the tension down? It doesn't. It's, don't do a voicemail. Don't do an email when you know they won't look at it. Don't do a text unless you're setting up an appointment for the real face-to-face meeting. That's just really what works. I I need to wrap this up. Let me just uh, get practical. I'm looking at you. I think you take Jesus seriously enough that you want to do something with this. You may even, as we've been talking about this, God may have brought somebody to your mind and it may be somebody you haven't even thought about for a while. There's a reason. You need to lean into that. Why is it that God's maybe putting somebody on your heart and your mind? There may be somebody that you need to leave church and go work it out and get on your phone with somebody. So let's just say you're, you're thinking about somebody at work, somebody that you go to school with, somebody you're related to, somebody, whatever, and you want to have one of these peacemaking conversations. Can I just give you a few suggestions for how that might go? A few suggestions for peacemaking conversations would be just attack the, the problem, not the person. When you're at odds with someone, it's really easy to think that you know what the other person's motives are. I know exactly why they're doing that, and they're just doing it to irritate me. Well, maybe, or maybe there 's something you can 't you know, so it 's very easy to start thinking the worst about the other person. Pastor Kerry Newhoff says this though he says people aren 't the problem. the problem is the problem. People, as hard as it is to believe, are the solution. Let me give you something that 'll help you with that if you want to attack the problem, not the people, approach that person with empathy with empathy, and this has been so helpful to me personally. Um, again, my, my natural inclination is to think, I know exactly why you're doing what you're doing, and it's always a bad reason, because we're all the heroes of our own stories, right? We, don't, we assume the best of ourselves and the worst in other people. It's human nature. We can just admit it. What I try to do, and this has been helpful to me, is to try to think of the most generous possible explanation for why that person is doing what they're doing. When you start doing that, you're starting to empathize with them. You're starting to try to say, I'm going to see things from your perspective. What is it like... Why and I try to literally do, I try to come up with two or three good reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. It helps me. I may not even agree with them, but it helps me start to think of some other possible things that might be going on. So then when I do actually have this conversation with that person, many times what you will find is just the fact that you have a little bit of empathy and that you're willing to listen and let them say what's going on in their mind they may come to the conclusion on their own. You know what? I am wrong about this. They may see it for themselves because all some people want is just to know that they've been heard, that their side's been listened to. Empathy helps people know that and that's so huge. I mean, here's the, the third thing I want to point out. Peacemakers prioritize reconciliation over resolution because this is the hard. This is the PhD level of this. There are some issues where there's really not a right and wrong. You just disagree. Stupid things when you get married, like which end you squeeze the toothpaste from. Well, there is, a, I'm sorry, there is a right answer to that one. <laughs> My bad. There's just things where it's just you and it's just them and it's the way God made you and it's the way God made them and you're either going to just despise each other or you're going to get to the point where you go, let's just agree to disagree We're going to emphasize the relationship over being right. We're going to work this out because the thing that really matters the most isn't being right. The thing that matters most is that relationship. A lot of times, the honest, legitimate differences between husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, friends, classmates, it just really comes down to you just got to let it go and agree to disagree. Unless it's sin, unless it's clearly something that, that God says is wrong, if it's immoral, unethical, okay, you got an issue there. But other than that, so many things. So you can have reconciliation without having every problem resolved. How awesome would it be for every married couple to go, we're supposed to be on the same team here. Why are we fighting each other? Can't we get to a point where we go, we may never agree on this thing, But the relationship is more important than me getting my way or me being right. And I'll tell you this. When you work on loving one another, it's amazing how some of these things that seem so important in the moment in the heat of battle fade to the background. And some of you, I'm looking at you, and some of you can, like, you're going, yeah, I know. I've lived that. We've experienced that. We've worked through some of that. We've got the scars to prove it. And you're like, Jesus is right. And some of us others need to listen to you and lean into that. And some of you may be God speaking to you right now. There's something where you just need to get on the same page and start working in the same direction with the people that you and and God has put into your life. And you're going in the same direction with. Here's the thing. I don't think we'll ever get away from conflict. I kind of wonder if even in heaven we might have things where we just agree to disagree with each other. But the most important thing is we can grow up in how we deal with it. And I tell you this, God is more than willing to help you with that. I love every week at Connection because I get to tell you there's like a solution for everything you face. There's never been a moment where God scratched his head and go, I just don't know what to do with that. You got me there, buddy. If you will seek God, he will give you wisdom and power to do the next right. The thing that is impossible for you is possible with God. And what I love about God that we serve and we worship here is that God does practice what he preaches. God went first. It's uh, what we've sung about. It's what we celebrate in communion, that when we were still enemies of God in our thoughts and in our behavior, God came here as Jesus, and he died for us. God goes first, and he doesn't wait for us to get right. He reconciles us to himself. And so this morning, man, if you're like, distant from God, if you're distant from someone else, God will help you with that.